Welcome to season two of the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. It's still irreverent. It's still weird. It's still the show that you love to tolerate. Thanks for listening. Welcome to episode number 38 of the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. I'm Kyle. As of yet, the same, the very same host that you've had for the past nearly 40 full-blown episodes. Guys, how's it going? Another hot goddamn summer week in another week of podcast five-star excellence coming your way. This week... As I said from last week's podcast, the first two that we did for this month were the Stanford Prison Experiment. And let me just pause uh, real quick right now and say that I have to uh, uh, amend the that particular episode a little bit. There has been come to light some um, some research and some uh, some truths that the Stanford Prison Project may have been a little bit more uh, uh, fabricated than had previously been been wondered by by people who've you know obviously talked about it for the past you know 40 odd years and of course when I do a podcast on it literally like a week later somebody's like well it was fake haha or it was a lot less a lot more overblown than it than it should have been that's exactly exactly how it always goes the the second I decide to do something about something it changes so you know Pretty soon I'll just start doing shit about stuff that I don't like and hope that that stuff changes. You know what I'm talking about. So anyhow, take that first episode of this month with a grain of salt. There's obviously a lesson to be learned from that story, but it wasn't nearly as crazy maybe as we all thought. On the other hand, the U.S. Public Health Service's uh, Tuskegee Syphilis Project did very much happen, and that was the, uh, the episode we did last week. Those first two episodes of this month both had to do with United States... Uh, medical experimentation. And while there is a couple more of those type of things we could talk about, even within the bounds of these here United States, like I said from last week's podcast, we were going to go international with it for the last two of this month. Uh, The one we're doing this week is a little something called the Aversion Project. And this is probably one that very few people have heard of in comparison to the first two that I did and the last one that I'm going to do next week. Next week, we're going to talk about Unit 731 in Japan. This week, we're going to talk about the Aversion Project. The Aversion Project is something that I stumbled upon maybe a month or so ago randomly while I was researching uh, different topics I wanted to do this month. And I just did a, a classic shaking my head at the situation. I couldn't believe that, A, I'd never heard of this thing before, and B, that people literally were like, this is okay. We're gonna do this, and this is gonna be okay. We're gonna we're gonna totally get away with this, and it's gonna be it's gonna be fine. It's it's not fine. First of all, it's absolutely not fine, and it's a real. If you are a South African listening to my show, and maybe you are, I've had a few downloads from South Africa, South South Africa. I've had a few downloads from there, and and while there are a lot of problems and a lot of good parts as well uh, in the South African history overall, 
I would say, unfortunately for your nation, I am sorry to say more negatives than positives, and this is one of those real nasty negatives. Uh, I would look very shamefully upon uh, this sort of thing if I was a South African looking at my nation's past, just as I, as an American, look very shamefully at the past of Native American genocide and slavery in my own country. It is it is not a good thing. Things change for the better, hopefully, for a reason. And this is one of those things that I'm glad doesn't happen anymore, at least I hope it doesn't happen anymore. So this week we're going to talk about the Aversion Project in South Africa. It's real messed up. You're going to really dislike some people after this one. Guys, Knowledge from the Couch Podcast, Episode 38, The Aversion Project. Stick with me. guys so the aversion project of south africa uh this one's going to be maybe a little bit of a shorter episode uh than usual and i know that i've said that probably two dozen times during these episodes and they've ended up being you know as long as any old uh, episode that we've ever done but the aversion project is actually not terribly well understood or researched and we obviously know what happened and who the perpetrators were but details uh, in particular, are, are a little bit more difficult to come by than, say, what we were talking about in the other two uh, episodes this month and the one we will talk about next week. So just so you know that up front, but we're going to uncover as much as we can about this particular project in this episode. So firstly, as I say often, context is king. Context is important. And at this time, while these things were taking place, uh South Africa was within the apartheid era. So the apartheid era in South Africa, we could do we could do an entire, you know, month's worth of episodes just on that alone. One of the more interestingly famous uh segregation practices in the the modern world uh took place in, in, until, you know, fairly recently. The apartheid era uh in South Africa only came to an end in 1991, uh, it was passed in in 1948. So basically, uh, in 1948, uh, a bunch of very wealthy uh, minority white people in South Africa were basically like, "Hey, uh, it's really cool to like segregate us white people away from." All these other people, and it wasn't just like white and black people. Obviously, black people were a large part of it because this is Africa after all. But they also, you know, had segregation things against basically any other people that weren't strictly white people. And there were there there were uh, there were rules against like you know the against or you know for whatever the way you you want to think about it, like uh, mixed children and this and that and the other thing. It was a whole a whole deal with a bunch of complex rules and this that. And the other thing, apartheid stuff has been covered in, in, in many 
parts of popular culture. Uh, you've probably heard of Nelson Mandela. You've probably heard and seen a lot of different things that take place in this era because it is fairly recent. I mean, there are there is photographic and film and everything evidence that this is definitely just this thing that was going on in a modern Commonwealth nation. And it's crazy to think that just very recently, less than, you know, basically 20, 30-ish years ago now, just ended. Um, it's just crazy that there was just this, this basically this Jim Crow type segregation or even worse, you know, uh, way into the nearly the 2000s in South Africa. So you can already imagine that, you know, uh, apartheid, which is Afrikaans for apartheid, you know, the 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 state of being apart, you know, setting things uh, differently from one another. You can imagine that during apartheid South Africa, there are lots of crazy policies against literally everything, because once you start saying, hey, it's really cool to to separate this, that and the other thing, all of a sudden it just becomes trendy to separate everything from everything else. So all you need to do is get a bunch of people who have the power. They then make the rules on what's normal. I'm doing air quotes. What's normal? And then everything that isn't normal becomes apart from everything else. And then the laws affect those things. And it's just a whole a whole bad situation. And this led to the aversion project in the South African Defense Force military. So basically... Like a lot of developed nations now, the, the United States is a little bit of a different thing when it comes to military. For the most part, and especially in the modern era with technology the way it is, the United States has a very large standing army that is all volunteer in nature. So everybody who is in the armed forces right now, if any of you are listening, thanks for your service, by the way. Anyone in the armed forces of the United States of America at the moment is a volunteer. They are not you know, drafted or conscripted um, outside of their own will, so to speak. Now, when I was a younger man, I'm an, I'm an old man of 33 now, but when I was a younger man, I um, had to register for the draft, so to speak, or selective service, as they called it. And that affected all men between the ages of, I think, 18 and 25. It might be different. I can't quite remember. But... Um, that's for in the event that the United States ever had to, you know, hold a draft to basically gather even more military might than they have just in volunteer forces. And, you know, the United States obviously has had drafts before. There was a draft for World War One, Two, the Korean War, and the Vietnam War, but there have been no uh, military drafts since then. There have really never been a need for it, mostly because of the United States' in impressive technological and uh, military superiority over like a ton of everything. So there really isn't a huge need for a draft anymore because wars are not really fought based on straight up numbers anymore. But anyway, we're getting way off base. South Africa, like a lot more, like say there's a lot of European countries that do it like this. Uh, Israel does it like this, where you, you have a standing volunteer defense force. They just are like, yes, I'm going to be in the military, boom, and then they go join the military. They have that, and then they have a secondary conscription military force where either you are chosen because you are drafted for some sort of conflict or you are basically mandatorily or compulsory, you know, uh, mandated to be a part of the military from a certain amount of time from, say, like age 18 to 21 or something. Now, a lot of countries do this, and honestly, I think it's a great idea. It's You just, you, you undergo basically what, what accounts to like, 
National Guard type service in the United States, like just straight out of high school, you go join the military, you're part of the military for like three years. And, you know, it's mostly part time stuff, but you're a part of it. And then you can go on with your regular life. You know, it's just one of those things that a lot of these countries do just as part of their constitutions. And South Africa was no exception to this rule. The crazy part about it was that because, of course, during apartheid politics, South Africa had to just be like, there's rules for goddamn everything. One of those rules was, of course, you guessed it, rules that banned being a homosexual in the military. Now, they did a dual policy because of having a volunteer and a conscription force. The way it worked, basically, is that you prohibited permanent members of the force from being homosexual. So if you were a volunteer person in the military that said, I'm joining the army, then you were also, you know, banned basically from being a gay person in the military. You know, how how you can ban somebody's, you know, how they are is beyond me, but that's that's another discussion for another time. But basically the permanent volunteer force, the South African Defense Force, was banned from being homosexuals, but the conscription force, on the other hand, was uh, permitted to have homosexuality in it, even though technically homosexuality was actually illegal itself in South Africa at the time, because, you know, apartheid things, and it was still sort of permitted, it was one of those things where it was like illegal, but not as really enforced, kind of like marijuana in the United States, like, it's bad, and you're going to get in trouble, but we're not going to really do anything about it. That was really how homosexuality was really viewed in that country and even in the conscription side of the military, whereas the uh, actual uh, uh, permanent standing military force was was prohibited from homosexual activity and being homosexual, I guess, in general. This was adopted because uh, a lot of the military officials believed that banning homosexuality excuse me, from every part of the military, not just the volunteer force, but from the conscription side as well, would just basically give a specific group of individuals, uh, and they were saying young, white, South African men, the ones they wanted in the military, a convenient way to basically avoid serving at all in the military. If they basically banned homosexuality from the military then it completely then when it came to you know time to serve your conscription time these men could be this was their thought would say oh by the way i'm not going to serve in the military because look at me i'm gay you can't make me serve in the military because i can't you know it's banned it's, it's illegal in the military can't do it so you can't you can't draft me that's what they thought was going to happen. Of course, that thought comes from a place of extreme, flawed, stupid thinking where they thought homosexuality was a choice. Uh, Any sane person today knows that that is absolutely not the case, but that's the thing. You know, this is like the 70s now in in South Africa during apartheid, so of course this is what everybody's thinking, but that was the big issue. They said, we have to permit homosexuality in our conscription side so that we can still continue con- to conscript everyone and, you know, be able to have uh, an entire um, standing army ready to do whatever we're going to do. So steps in at this point, a man named Aubrey Levine. Aubrey Levine is basically the perpetrator of this entire situation. He is the mastermind of what's going on with, this project. Aubrey Levine 
is a is a psychiatrist and a psychologist who who by all means didn't technically w- do this sort of I guess you could call it like evil type work by itself. He wasn't just a total dickhead. He was, you know, he was a, a licensed psychiatrist in South Africa. Um, he became one in 1969. Um, he treated a lot of very difficult to treat people with very difficult to treat psychiatric uh, ailments like schizophrenia and an extremely unbalanced bipolar disorder, among other things. At the same time, though, he was definitely not a good guy. He was definitely a fucking quacked, weirdo, crazy person because even though he was treating people who maybe needed treatment, he was also of the thought that homosexuality was this sort of awful, terrible perversion and that somehow him in his his magical um, medical thinking said, I'm going to have to, I'm going to fix that. I am going to treat these homosexuals and I'm going to make them straight people. I am going to cure gay people. That's what he thought. That's what Aubrey Levine thought he was going to do in the South African uh, defense force. He was like, in his head, he was like, there's no need for homosexuality to be banned. I mean, cool, we'll ban it because it's bullshit and I hate it. I'm, I'm a total homophobe named Aubrey Levine. But it's it's going to be a totally unnecessary rule because I'm just going to take all the people who are homosexual and I'm just going to make them not gay anymore. Here I go. Watch me go. Aubrey Levine then started the Aversion Project in 1971. And he perpetrated this from 1971 in the African Defense Force, South African Defense Force, all the way up to 1989. So nearly 20 years, 18 years uh, exactly he perpetrated what he did, what he thought was the right way to basically cure, I'm doing air quotes again, cure homosexuality in these people. He started this project in Ward 22 at one military hospital, which is located in a fucking place that is very difficult to speak. You know, they always say that Afrikaans is actually fairly closely related to English because Afrikaans is sort of a subset of Dutch and Dutch and English are kind of close-ish. So if you ever hear like somebody speak Afrikaans, sometimes you're almost weirdly like, hey, I can kind of understand like two or three words here and there. It's weird because they're cousin languages. Um, the place is Voortrechterhoek. Voortrechterhoek. I don't know if that's right or not. Uh, sorry, my South African friends. I'm not sure if that's right or not, but that is where he was um, holding these medical Uh, things that he was going to do with these patients. So, basically, he was rounding up all the people who either A, claimed that they were homosexual, or B, didn't claim it, and they just, you know, were suspected of being homosexual. Either way, uh, he gathered up all these people and started his aversion Therapy. Now, what's aversion or conversion therapy? It's really kind of, they're not the same exact thing, obviously, but he basically thought that he would use aversion therapy to convert these people from being homosexual to being straight people. And the way he did this was he basically, and, and if you've ever watched, um, if you've ever seen the American Horror Story Asylum version, uh, this is actually used a little bit in the story arc 
um, where the 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 doctor Zachary Quinto Spock, uh, he is a psychologist as well, and he he takes that that reporter girl who goes into the asylum, and and she's a, a lesbian, and he tries to avert her and change her from that to this, and basically what you do is is take you know some sort of stimulus and make them you know you try to repulse them from it you know you try to uh you know show them pictures do something and then and then introduce a a negative stimulus to it so you could you could basically call it uh like negative reinforcement for them or positive reinforcement in a very negative way because you're adding something in but it's very negative in in context so you're trying to uh, avert them away because they feel like basically a human being it can just be trained away from the way they are apparently so that's aversion therapy and what Levine would do was he would gather these guys up and he would show them pictures he'd have like a slideshow going on or he'd have whatever it is that he could present the stimulus to these men and women both uh he tried it with 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 both gay men and, and lesbian women he would show them, say, pictures of what they were attracted to. So a gay man was showed pictures of men. And any time they ever showed any inkling at all of being, you know, aroused, stimulated, anything at all from a picture, he would do something to avert them, whether that meant giving them some sort of drug to make them sick to their stomach and throw up. Um, he was very famous uh, for using electroshock therapy where he would literally just hook up a bunch of electrodes in a very unmedical way and just turn up the voltage and shock the shit out of these people while they were looking at these pictures in an attempt to basically, you know, introduce that horrible, awful negative stimulus to any time they ever did this. Literally rounding up people in the army, putting them in a room, looking at things and saying, you're gay, I'm going to make you not gay. Look at this picture. Oh, it looks like you liked it. Shock, shock, shock. And it just, it was awful. It was just this torturous, terrible, terrible thing. Of course, when this inevitably didn't work, surprise, surprise, of course it didn't work because you, it, it just, it's like the Geico commercial. This is not how things work. This isn't how any of this works. Of course, there had to be a, a stronger um uh repost to 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 fix these people so to speak then Levine you know they would shock the hell out of these people um they they eventually started chemically castrating these people so any form of of drug that you can give a person that would basically render them um completely sterile um was used on a lot of these people basically just say hey you know I see that you like this sort of thing sexually. Well, now you're not going to like anything at all anymore because we're going to take, you know, all of your sex drive and your libido completely away from you. The end, we're doing this to you because we can't cure you with our insane electric shock therapy that we're doing to you. So Levine is just pulling this off for like 20 years. He is just doing this over and over and over again. He is picking out homosexuals from the military, bringing them into his uh, his Ward 22, and doing this over and over and over again. Of course, like I said before, these sort of things didn't really work out. Why, you ask? Because, of course, you can't train this, some, this sort of thing out of a human being. So, instead of just saying, well, we, we, we sure did fuck up, 
we didn't do a good thing, maybe we should stop doing it, Aubrey Levine and his crew decided to take it a complete and utter step forward from there and take some of these lost causes, as they put it, and put them through total and complete sex change operations without these people's consent at all. Just, hey, I mean, of course, this is out there consent anyway, but it's one thing to to strap somebody to a chair, show them pictures and shock the shit out of them. That's awful. That's terrible. It's another thing to basically take them to a room and mutilate them surgically, you know, to a person who does not want to go through this type of operation. So they would just say, well, you're a gay man who likes other men. I guess you're going to become a woman now because of just the, the, the binary gender rules. And the, I mean, it's South Africa, um, very religiously traditional at the time, you know, with apartheid and everything, just the whole banning of homosexuality in general. We are going to completely and totally change your sex because this is, of course, a reasonable thing to do in their head. Um, they would be put through the surgery, uh, go through the sex change operation, of course, against their will, and they would be given a completely different identity that, of course, they also didn't get to choose. They would then be discharged from the military and advised to cut themselves off from any familial contact and friend contact whatsoever. They're saying now, um, they're finding, and you'll see this, uh, different people have actually come forward themselves as being people who were, or those who had went through the thing, as many as 900, 900, nearly 1,000 homosexuals, mostly people um, between the ages of 16 and 24, so really young people who basically haven't even found themselves completely and utterly yet, of course, between the ages of 16 and 24, who had been drafted because, of course, it was illegal in the, the volunteer military, so it was all the conscription military, had been surgically turned into women. This is this is mostly males now. Given birth certificates to fit their modified anatomy, anatomy excuse me, and then sent on their way. This surgery was done in military hospitals, and a high rate of patients died during surgery because, of course, I guess... If we can't shock the gay out of you um, with our terrible therapy, then maybe we'll change your sex. And I guess it's cool if you die because we don't care because why do we even want you to be alive anyway? The strange hula hoop of ethics that these people would go through to justify whatever they needed to justify is completely and utterly terrible and astounding at the same time. Those who did survive their surgeries often found that these reassignments were never even fully done. Sometimes they were just incomplete, leaving patients with halfway finished procedures. There's actually a uh, an article written in The Guardian, a, uh, um, a British um, publication, that has a man having come forward um, talking about his own experience in the, the South African military, having been one of those people that went through this entire situation. He um, calls himself Harold. That was his name uh, before everything went down. He didn't uh, take the new identity they gave him. Um, his time in that military was basically spent uh, undergoing treatment to you know, try to shock it out of him. And then he was basically halfway turned from male to female. Um, 
he was one of these many people that was, you know, halfway done and just sent on his way. He says, quote, I know now that in one sense I was just unlucky. The army had whole gay battalions who were just shunted aside and let be. But if things went wrong and you ended up in the hands of the psychologist, then it could get very bad. In my case, it began with the electric shocks and only ended after they'd already given me breasts. And then the army said it had abandoned the whole policy and let me go, unquote. Uh, so there you go. Dude was just like, he was one of the men towards the end of this policy. Like we said, it was from 1971 up to 1989. So he was a member of the South African drafted military in the late 80s, uh, grabbed, went through this terrible procedure, and was only halfway mutilated, I guess you could say, although any sort of mutilation, in my opinion, is a full-blown mutilation, you know, as it is. And then just thrown out in the street and said, whoopsie, sorry, I guess it's just the way it is. Da-da-da-da-da-da, South Africa. So, hey, cool. This happened to a lot of people. In addition, after being discharged, whether they had been fully, I guess, reassigned, partially reassigned, but basically not dead, there were never any follow-up appointments to finish the surgeries if they needed to be finished or to check on their progress mentally and physically because, of course not. They were treated as second-class citizens to begin with, why would anybody ever care at any time as to what happened to these people that they mutilated, of course, without these people's consent, of course. In order to stay on track with their gender reassignment, if they were going to do it, patients needed an expensive supply of hormones, but of course, since nobody cared about them or did anything for them, they typically lacked the means to pay for these hormones to maintain their new identities. So, of course... um, Typically, when when uh, gender reassignment, you know, uh, is undergone consensually these days, of course, you go through the surgeries and you also go through a lot of uh, of hormonal treatment because, you know, the difference between the amount of testosterone, the amount of estrogen, you know, different people make makes a difference in, you know, the, the, the physical form that we tend to, you know, assign each other when it comes to. Uh, gender and I, I it's getting tough for me to sort of talk about this because I, I understand that it is not just an A or B black or white situation so just as a random uh, disclaimer I am just mostly telling this in the nature of the story that we're telling but anyhow when those people go through their assignments and like I said as as, as volunteers a they're given correct medical treatment to maintain and B they're given the 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 medical drug therapy to back it up these people weren't so it would just kind of leave them as they were with some new pieces kind of thrown onto them or old pieces taken off of them whatever you want to say and then they were just thrown out you know like like common garbage overall the the attitude toward these homosexual soldiers was was absolutely and utterly of course uh, horrendous and terrible um, in this same article uh, from The Guardian, uh, another gay soldier, a man named uh, Gene Erasmus, who was chemically castrated by Dr. Levine in 1980 and then eventually committed suicide in 1999, which is actually a very common thing that a lot of people uh, uh, that underwent this treatment would do. Because, of course, when you're horribly and terribly abused at the hand of these people without being able to do anything about it, a lot of these people did resort to uh, the worst and final solution that was killing themselves. Uh, One gay soldier named Gene Erasmus, uh, before he did take his own life, uh, recorded a tape detailing the broader abuse of homosexuals in the army, 
including how he was forced by his officers to participate in the gang rape of Angolan women and how other gay soldiers were given hormone drugs. He said, quote, I am quite convinced that quite a few murders of gay people took place, which we will never know of, and it was covered up. When people got trigger happy, gays were often the brunt of the bullet. In practice, the army's treatment of gays was confused. Many found themselves in de facto, quote, quote unquote, gay battalions, according to another man, Mickey Van Ziel, a researcher on this entire aversion project. Quote, in Uppington, virtually the whole battalion was queer until some general decided this should be broken up. There was one in Grahamstown. There was another in Pretoria. For some of them, these were supportive environments. For others, they were not, unquote. Health workers in the military were expected to be loyal first to the state and its ideologies. Sound familiar? It meant that some doctors flagrantly ignored terms from the Geneva Convention and Tokyo Declaration and certainly showed no accountability to the national professional councils nor best current practices. The stage was set for human rights abuses of patients under the care of such doctors, such doctors like Dr. Aubrey Levine. Quote, he left a trail of experiments. He worked in environments where he had captive subjects and he abused them, unquote. Eventually, this entire practice was shut down, of course, in 1989 and not too long thereafter in 1991. Apartheid was ended in South Africa and this terrible chapter was put to rest when, I mean, I say put to rest in, in official terms. Of course, you can never put to rest the awful, terrible abuse that these people underwent. But the, uh, the nation of South Africa in 1995 did offer an official you know, public apology for their terrible, awful past wrongdoings. What happened then to Mr. Aubrey Levine, our main villain in the story? Well, in 1995, he ran off to another Commonwealth nation, uh, the nation of Canada, where he became licensed by the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Saskatchewan, Canada, and later Alberta's College in 1998. But, of course, because he's a total goddamn lunatic, in March of 2010, so very recently, the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta then suspended his license over accusations of abuse after a male patient secretly filmed the psychiatrist allegedly making sexual advances because, of course, at a pretrial hearing determining that Levine was uh, fit to stand trial, although in the early stages of dementia, he was basically convicted to at least five years in a um, in a detention center somewhere. Um, of course, that's exactly what would happen, and the way it looks like, he's probably going to spend the rest of his life in prison and die there a terrible death um, riddled with guilt and dementia, and to be completely honest, and I hate to say this, but the dude kind of, kind of deserves it. So there you go. Kind of a sad story, a quick brief one, um, this week's episode of Knowledge from the Couch podcast uh, on the South African uh, aversion project in, in the military. Really sad state of affairs. Um, I will post links, of course, to the article uh, that I read from The Guardian in the show notes. So if you are curious as to where I got some of these uh, quotes and some of the some of the story, I will post it there so you can read it. So, yeah, there you go. Another terrible tale of human indecency. And now your fact of the week. 
Hey, this fact is kind of cool, I guess. Uh, apparently in Palo Alto, California, there's a cool statue of Nikola Tesla. Why is this statue cool? Because apparently this statue provides free Wi-Fi. Huh. Well, that is real goddamn interesting. And so, another kind of good episode, maybe, of the Knowledge from the Couch podcast reaches your ears and gives you a little bit of knowledge, hopefully, that you didn't know much about. Uh, you can find the show on every kind of podcast platform, which includes, you know, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, um, Google Play. Apparently, Google Podcasts is a new thing now, so if you are an Android-type person, I believe you can actually download the Google Podcasts app, where it should also be on there. Uh, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, over, uh, Overcast, um, TuneIn, and, and many, many, many other places. I will also be submitting the podcast very soon to Spotify, although it's it's probably not going to be able to be on there just because of the, uh, the amount of music I use in the show. But we're going to give it a shot, and if it works, I'll let you all know about that development in the show's uh, uh, structure. You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Steinhauser, uh, the show's Twitter at The Couch Pod. You can follow me on Instagram at Kyle F. Steinhauser, and you can follow this show in particular on uh, Facebook, search Knowledge from the Couch Podcast, and, and join us there for a whole bunch of me posting stuff, and that's pretty much just about it. You can also email the show, knowledgecouchgmail.com, if you would like to do that. Guys, next week... We are going to talk about Unit 731, the awful, terrible Japanese uh, research camp that did a whole lot of bad stuff. We are going to dive deep into that story. But until then, guys, enjoy this episode. Be nice to each other. And, of course, live long and prosper. Niggas must have forgot their alphabet. Let me explain. Here it goes. A is for ambition. B, what I want to be. C, past the situation that's in front of me. Doubt is an enemy. Zep, we say fuck them. The irony is they inspire me to love them. G is past go and ignite the cash flow. And eights is put your heart in whatever's your last hope. I is I inspire, but two light the fire. So we be the street's number one supplier. And jazz for them Jordans for my niggas when I make it. Give me two of those strange no name kicks. Earth, wind, and fire type. Elemental beast. That resembles me And it accounts for LMNOP You the track up like Are oh, you impressed? Get your bread, kid But never let it go to your head That's S for success To be the best in T is teach back What you learn that's next Cause you got the power Be for voluntary action W is right out to life With a passion X is expect to fail Why cease to dream Even when you ain't Catching them Z's And that's the alphabet To follow me, so A is to attempt to be the change you wanna see, and D is to be different. But tell us what you mean, like are you one of them good guys or you one of us fiends? Either way, you gotta eat, uh huh. Elevate your mind, right? Cause F is for the fine life, and that's how you define life. But I say, G is get back to your home, and H is help the people that didn't help you along. Oh yeah, fuck it, we go back to F, cause that's for freedom. G is keep your good thoughts, cause buddy, you gon' need them. And H is if
keep your hood stars, buddy, you gon' feed them Cause it's bad enough when niggas get the check and get to leaving Jay is for them jump offs, we wanted his kids Looking through the glass, seeing the life we wanna live in And there's more money, more problems And N.O. is no peas And that's pessimistic profits, Q Quit thinking and are you still with me And S is stressless and T is to infinity U Is that it's all about you And that's why a nigga fucked around and left out I VW is very wise and X is this exam But why lie, you got zip if you ain't got fam And that's the alphabet I've been for so long, been surviving for so long